Welcome to the Disability and Podcast, bringing together thoughtful discussions and debate. My name is Paul Wilshaw. I'm a learning disabled producer and actor, currently working as the assistant producer with England's leading learning disability performance and live arts company, Mind the Gap. I am excited to announce that Mind the Gap are the new co-hosts for the podcast in partnership with Disability Arts Online. This month, Michael McGowan talks to Kate Adams and Esther Springer about the innovative visual arts organisation and Turner Prize nominees, Project Artworks. Hello and welcome to This Brother Kate Anne. My name is Michael McCune. I'm joined today by Eska Sprinnett from um, Project Artswork and Eska is a support um, collaboration lead and also we are joined by Kate Adams um, who is the co-founder of Project Artswork as well. So welcome to welcome to the podcast. Um, Kate, if I can ask you firstly, you you co-founded a project arts work back in two, um, 1997. Um, but why was it important to have an organisation like this set up? When we when we first started um, doing um, projects in special schools, actually, uh, it was a collaboration between myself and Jonathan Cole, who was a painter that uh, I was sharing a studio with. We didn't really plan to set up an organisation, we just planned to do some uh, residencies and experimentations with different ways of working with art and materials to enable children with disabilities, uh, complex support needs and autistic children to engage on their own terms with Um, art materials and processes. Um, I have a son who has uh, complex support needs and um, at the time I was very interested in how art was being produced in his school uh, because it involved a lot of hand over hand working with um, um, materials. So, you know, he would produce an Easter card or something which I know he hadn't made um, himself. So we were really interested in um, just exploring that. And then from that, the work was so dynamic uh, because I uh, um, wanted to explore sensory materials and processes, which meant that um, often children, we were working with their whole bodies were, um, engaged in it or touching um, a materials and uh, different kinds of uh, materials like with painting and casting and so out of that came an exhibition and from that came uh, the gradual uh, development of project artworks and as you say there uh, we felt there was a need for the organization to open up more opportunities for people, children, and then gradually all sorts of uh, people to make art. 
So if I can turn to you, Esther, um, can you tell us about the ethos behind the project Arts Work? Yeah, of course. Um, I guess it starts with empathy and um, allowing a space for people to have agency and freedom of expression where in other parts of their lives they don't. And working in a creative and collaborative way with neurodiverse people um, really enables individuals to show themselves in a way they may not have before and for other people to see, see them in a new light. Um, and so that in itself is quite a political statement um, with a small p. And often working in the way we do, which is very responsive and it's about exploring someone's remit of communication can be completely life-changing for, for that individual, but also the people facilitating that and the people that are in that person's circle of support. So um, the ethos is about sharing that experience, opening up conversations to explore neurodiversity and raise awareness, not only in the arts and cultural sector, but also within social care. Um, and so there's this kind of dual, dual mission, which is about um, supporting the practice of neurodiverse artists, but also um, awareness raising more broadly around disability. And um, so Eska, tell us what um, your own work uh, um, with a project uh, and does your advocacy and support um, like that you support your sister um, features as part of your work at Project Arts? Absolutely, yeah. Um, so uh, part of my role and an important part of my role is the peer advocacy because I think unless you've experienced what it's like um, to support someone with complex support needs, you you struggle um, to connect um, with others. And so growing up, I experienced quite a lot of social isolation. Um, and obviously hindsight is a brilliant thing. And it's only now looking back that I realized that I did have a lot of responsibility. Um, and I guess I draw on that. Um, and you know, my work with Project Artworks does rely on that lived experience. And it's down to me how much of that I share and in what context. So when I'm working with family members, um, and that includes parents and siblings, I will be quite open. And, um, and I think that's like I mentioned before, a key um, factor um, with empathy as well as being able to put yourself in other people's shoes. And I can quite readily do that, but obviously um, it does, yeah, draw on my reserves and it's a very emotional role um, and and then again with um with the lived experience I pick and choose when to share that in different contexts so we um we do have a position to influence change not only within the arts and cultural sphere but also within social care and um a key part of our work is to gather the voice of 
people with experience of caring and supporting someone with com complex support needs and raise that up and um, talk about what the key issues are um, with commissioners, with representatives from health and social care. You said that the emotional uh, support as well, but I would imagine it's uh, rewarding to see the work that you're doing and how um, the the support that you're giving your your sister and I bet I bet your sister is thankful for for your support that like you do kind of like every day out, out with kind of like uh, your work at um, Project Arts as well. Um, yeah, I definitely think that um, if she was able to 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 say that 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 was that would be something that she would be proud of. But um, my sister has um, complex support needs. She doesn't use uh, verbal language to communicate, so it's all about tuning in to her and the subtle kind of signs of communication that she shows through her body language and um, and that again that that is is how we we function and work in the studio it's a sort of subtle tuning in to um watching and listening esther can you tell us about about the support uh, the support collective yeah so the support collective is a group of people with lived experience of caring for someone um the learning disability or an autistic person and um within our studio program it, during the week we work with up to 50 uh, adults and there's a lot that goes into ensuring that those artist makers can show up in their practice and be in the studio and that relies heavily on their circles of support. Um, so there's kind of an invisible piece of work that we are trying to make visible day by day, which is the complex infrastructure surrounding someone with complex support needs and what their loved ones and depend um, their their um, representatives and advocates have to to navigate. Uh, constantly and so the support collective offers peer support it offers practical training so for example um, we support families that employ their own personal assistants and support workers so we have um, teamed up with other organizations to offer training on how to recruit how to supervise and keep a happy team of personal assistants um, and then we have more outwardly focused um, public events. So we're about to launch a summit, um, which will be a series of webinars focusing on housing and the issue of um, securing housing longer term um, and having the safety net of housing, which is really quite a crucial issue facing people, especially within our region at the moment. And yeah we just we're, we've during covid we've been for a lot of people um the main point of contact um and the main kind of source of information around the emergency response to covid so where will i get my vaccine from what are my rights how do i navigate restrictions placed on my liberty um and so that's been um, quite a key moment um, for the support collective. Um, advocacy support groups locally 
don't typically engage with carers and carers' rights are hugely overlooked and, explo yeah. and exploited as well. Kate, I want to ask you, um, have you seen uh, the artists' coin skins kind of like, grown over the years since they, they've actually, you know, first first day they come in the door and then five years down the line they're like, ah, no, I can I can do this myself. So have you seen like people's kind of skins change in that in that period of time? Uh yes, very much so. I mean we have um, relationships with people for many, many years. I think the main thing that happens is that uh, there is an understanding that evolves around an individual that uh, transforms the way that they're seen by others as much as for themselves. Um, and that that really helps the culture around them to evolve, to become much more supportive of what they do and who they are and how incredible they are as well as individuals and as potential artists. I mean, for some of the people who uh, attend the studios, whether they are an artist or not, doesn't really matter to them. Um, what matters is um, the quality of experience and their output, which gradually evolves and which they uh, respond to over time. Um, I mean, we very much value whatever people can do. Um, and that valuing, I think, is what creates confidence. Um, and then there are other um, people who attend the studios who uh, do have a really strong sense of identity as an artist. And that's very important to nurture and to find roots into um, sharing their work and enabling them to uh, become as independent as possible in their practice. Um, we have a, an archive of over five and a half thousand works now because much of the work that is made in the freedom and e experimentation of the studio um, is very large scale, uh, too large scale for most domestic situations <laughs> so uh, and it needs to be uh, in order to be able to generate this sense of freedom and purpose and without the constraints of risk um, uh, assessments and so on um, but in a short answer to your question is yes it, it very much does the the production of work seeing it in public spaces and for many of the artists being in public spaces alongside their work really does build confidence. It also builds an identity that's completely transformative and different to these ideas of um, being someone who absorbs public money through um, being a recipient of benefits and services, uh, which I think is another big aspect of the work um, because we do there is a very, very entrenched attitudinal change that needs to take, take place. And the entrenched attitude is that people who are in receipt of public funding are somehow takers and non-contributors. So the uh, extraordinary uh, works that are made and then the way in which 
exhibitions are put together are very mindful of completely transforming those ideas and um, disarming them in many ways. What I was going to say to that, um, to, to follow up on as well, that if, peop if um, people look at um, artworks designed by people with disability, suddenly they, they forget that they've got a disability. Because people, um, but would you say that disability is only a label at times as well? Yes, it's um, well, essentially, it no one is essentially vulnerable uh, or disabled, they're disabled by the many um, factors in society and communities, and also made vulnerable by those. Um, so, um you know, this word vulnerable is used, I think, in a way that really disempowers people. Um, and, you know, just coming back to the idea of what it is to need support. Um, you know, my son has, um, he has a personal health budget um, through continuing healthcare. And he essentially, we as a family, uh, and he employs nine people to support him in his daily life. He is a generator of economic activity. He is an employer and he creates um, stability in uh, people's lives who can then be active participants in um, the economic model that we exist with in this country. He also contributes uh, a huge amount to the tax um, system uh, through that uh, process of being an employer. And those sorts of ways of thinking are really critical to repositioning people. The artworks, as you say, very, very insightfully uh, do disrupt people's ideas as well. Um, and that is a key mission of Project Artworks is to, is to reposition people, to disrupt, preconceptions and to actually connect um, people together and show our commonalities much more than our differences. Project Artworks has developed uh, the use of video and uh, you know I think that's very important so that you can actually see um, people in action um, and you've co won the, a film award in London um, back in 2020, if you can tell us about that and how, how that has impact on the organisation by winning that award. One of the things that has been central to the work from the beginning is to, first of all, show the work and secondly, then create a sort of narrative um, and process of insight into how the work came into existence. And that then is the process by which these disruption, disruptions of ideas about disability come. That's where they come from. You, by, by actually showing these extraordinary artworks and people and their amazing way in which they function in the world and what they bring to us and then to um, share that um, in a way that is non-exposing, um, but but very much uh, geared towards connecting with people who may not have experience of disability in their lives. So film is very much part of that process. 
and it helps to articulate a lot that is beyond words and language um, and works on a, a different uh, level, I suppose, of um, ex you know, experience. So we use film um, in all sorts of ways and the, um, it's just developed into another strand of our production over time. So Eska, um, if I can turn back to you, you you've um, kind of like directed your film series called Family Stories, and I would um, I would ask people if you haven't saw that film to go into the app, um, to go into the website because it, it tells wonderful stories of uh, wonderful families. So why is it so? important for people to tell the, their story? I think um, the films originated from this feeling that there's an awful lot of information out there and it's not always readily available and accessible. And I had got fed up with just wading through PDF booklets, advocacy leaflets, like the paperwork is extensive when you are a carer. Um, and I just felt that there are some really significant voices within the support collective that tell it how it is, um, that have a font of knowledge, and you can rifle through, you know, um, section six, Care Act 2014, or you can sit next to someone and I know which one I would choose. And I think the films are about pulling up a chair next to someone and asking for their experience. So in doing that, it empowers that individual because they realize that they've amassed this knowledge through their experience and they're able to share that and make a difference to other people's lives. And their advocacy tools, they can go further, they can go wide. Um, and I believe, um, and I'm working on a, another series of, of films now with siblings, that the sibling voice is a lesser heard voice. And certainly um, when we think about growing up with um, a sibling, it, it is that sense of incoming responsibility that I don't think um, there are, there's enough support around. So sort of preparing um, the siblings for the future as well, because what we have is, you know, we have a system that's very much set up, a social care system that's set up to supporting the elderly, but we have a huge population of people with complex support needs that are living into adulthood. And um, when my sister was younger, um, our family were told that she wouldn't survive into adulthood, but because of the marvels of medicine um, and the management, um, of, of her needs, she is surprising everyone. And so we need a social care system and a, um, a, an integrated health system that, that um, acknowledges that, that people have lifelong needs and so do their families. And so I hope the films articulate that in a way which is accessible um, and is dignified and respectful for the lives of these families that are extraordinary. Um, and we have so much to learn from their resilience and their power, um, where in the past maybe they have felt disempowered. I hope the films do empower a voice, which is a unique perspective 
on the lives of, of um, neurodivergent artists and their families. It's a window into a world that we don't often see beyond the studio. Okay, as well as doing brilliant work uh, in England, you are a global partner because you were invited to um, an exhibition in Germany. Um, so what, what does it mean to be a global, uh, global partner for this event and what will this be shown at the festival? Well, it's uh, incredibly exciting. Uh, actually, um, the documenta program, documenta 15, um, that will take place in Castle over 100 days between June 18th and September 22nd. It's a, uh, a very extraordinary exhibition um, across the city and Castle, but it, it's happening now, the whole project, because the um, artistic leads are an organization called, they're an artist collective from Indonesia based in Jakarta called uh, Ruang Grupa. And they are very invested in the local and are bringing that idea of community connection and change and the reimagining of how we can live into a, a global platform of Documenta 15. So we were asked to be part of um, the central artistic collectives um, as one of, um, from, that, that come from all over the world. Uh, we're working with people from Indonesia, um, Bangladesh, Colombia, Cuba, uh, many different African countries, uh, Palestine and other many other places. Um, and that has been extraordinary, an extraordinary experience because what we're finding is um, a balance of shared values and um, visions that are about reimagining our world, and also they're, they're really predicated on care, uh, care for our environment, care for each other. And um, that is uh, very refreshing to be in, a, in a, a central cultural space around contemporary art that has this uh, extraordinary value system at its heart. So, we, we've just come back, actually, we were in Castle last week. We're connect, trying to connect with um, uh, neurodivergent communities and um, disabled people in and around Castle and in Germany. We've met some extraordinary people, of course, as we will, we know we will. And um, we are setting up spaces over there where we can um, work with uh, many different people directly prior to the 100 days and during the 100 days. So there will be a real sense of um, action and production as part of uh, our involvement. And we hope very much that it will go beyond the 100 days as well. Uh, certainly Ruan Grupa's vision is to create a global movement that will endure. Yeah, no, no, that, that's brilliant, Keith. You, you never know. 
people might listen to this from other countries and, and want to, to work for, with your organisation as well. It sounds, sounds brilliant um, what, what you're doing. So, okay, can I ask you, like, last year you were nominated for the Turner Prize along with four other kind of organisations. So t tell us a bit about that and, um, you know, because the Turner Prize is a very, um, uh, um, a very big uh, kind of late award. So how, how, how did that go down in your organisation? Well, it was, it was great. It was a bit of a surprise, um, uh, a nice surprise. Um, we uh, were very honoured actually to be sharing uh, the Turner Prize shortlist with uh, four other collectives, um, who all of whom had uh, very different um, strands of work that they were involved in. And we put together um, an exhibition that we felt was, you know, really reflected the uh, the work of the studios, but the organisation as a whole and some of um, the more subtle political areas of our work. And uh, I mean, it was pretty intense. Uh, incredibly intense from um, being informed in May to putting on this major exhibition in September was, um, it, it was a bit like a sort of super tanker that um, rolled through our entire organisation. But we uh, have a very, uh, you know, we have an incredibly committed organisation that's um, of amazing people and yeah, it was good. It was, uh, what was wonderful is the way in which we try and influence change in cultural spaces um, as much as possible by generating awareness raising and talking to institutions about what access actually means in practice in a really deep level like, um, you know, quiet visiting, for example, which are a bit like accessible performances um, and um, how to connect with communities around them that they uh, very often don't even know about. Um, so we've been doing that work with organisations and galleries for over a decade, really deep collaborations in order to generate awareness raising and much better connection with neurodivergent communities around them, because people need to be found and nurtured uh, in order to, to um, generate generations of neurodivergent artists and makers who may miss out on art school, for example. So this platform was like um, a really good way to uh, jump over quite a few barriers in um, the cultural sector into this central um, venue and um, event in the culture, in the contemporary art calendar. I mean, I don't think it was terribly well received by the cultural sector, the, you know, the cultural critics. Um, just the idea of collectives is not a, is not something that they're necessarily on board with. So they're going to have a real, real struggle with documenting this year. <laughs> but it is what artists do now. They are interested in communities and interested in working deeply to um, to care and generate change. So it was a really good platform. 
Do you want to say anything, Esther? Yeah, it just feels quite dreamlike after the the challenges of the, the last few years with the pandemic to kind of come out in a flourish like this has been amazing. And it's been such a beacon of light for a lot of the artists, makers and their families. And it has to be said that actually Coventry City of Culture, who were uh, central to hosting the, um, and the Herbert Gallery to hosting the Turner Prize, they couldn't have been more helpful actually to us and um, to our communities. And the uh, award ceremony was a complete triumph for, uh, we had, um, you know, quite a few of our uh, artists makers there and they were completely sensitive to their needs and, and how uh, they would, could be best accommodated. So it was very, very impressive. And um, I think that's a, a big success. Can I just ask you finally, Kate, how, how do you see Project Arts developing going forward over the next uh, few years? It's difficult to tell, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, we didn't plan to be nominated for the Turner Prize or to um, or the German Award, and certainly not to take part in Documenta, but it's, um, so, so what we're trying to do is build into our kind of forward plans uh, a bit of open space to accommodate these uh, potential um, un, you know, spontaneous things, um, but we need space. We have a, a quite a critical need now because there are uh, many people who would like to join the studios, but, but also those people in the studios need more independent spaces. So we uh, plan to open um, a space in Hastings Town Centre as part of the Hastings Commons development, which is a really interesting project, which you could check out online. And, um, and also to um, try and secure a capital development grant for um, developing and re, um, rebuilding in some areas our current space, which is across these three arches. It's a, a road bridge, but there it's a really wonderful space here that is semi-industrial and it has a very um, wonderful um, set of buildings that have outside space. It's next to a rail railway, so. Um, it's a really good um, site to develop. So our plans are to develop space, to um, hold, uh, find a different way to develop and to mine and uh, I, I suppose in some ways exploit the archive and to um, continue a really deep artist development program and um, yeah, just carry on the work. And, and one of the things we've always done is to respond to context and external events. And so obviously with Documenta, I suspect there will be a wave of activities that could come out of that. And certainly some international collaborations may be you know, part of that. 
Well, well, good luck with with your work, and um, I, I, I enjoyed uh, speaking to Eskan today. So thanks for for joining us on the podcast, and good luck with your work going forward. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you for asking us. Thank you so much, Michael. It's great to meet you. Thank you. A big thank you to Michael, Kate and Esther. Next month, you can expect to hear a conversation with Julia Skelton, Executive Director of Mind the Gap, on the history and future of the company, hosted by myself. We are thrilled to invite you along on this exciting opportunity with Disability Arts Online. I want you to be part of the journey. Therefore, if you have any questions or topics you would like us to cover, please contact us via Mind the Gaps Twitter at MTG Studios or Disability Arts Online Twitter at Disability Arts. <laughs>